Hey, and welcome to another episode of Lead Like You Give a Damn, the podcast where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose, and effectiveness. I'm your host, Dave McKeown, and my guest today is Chris Sizemore. Uh, Chris is the CEO and founder of Creative Mischief, a branding and marketing agency with a simple belief. If we can dream it, we can build it. Listen as we talk about Chris's connection to my hometown of Belfast, the importance of listening twice as much as you speak, and why serving your community can be the highest level of leadership impact that you can have. Make sure you're subscribed to get the latest episodes of the show as they come out. Let me know if you have any questions. And as always, I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hey, Chris, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, we were just having a, a fun conversation about a bit of your background and where things uh, collide between you and I. And I'd love for you just to share a little bit about that. It's not often that I meet somebody in the United States who actually has direct ties back to Belfast, where I'm originally from, but you do. Share with us again, share with me again, what those ties are. Yeah, absolutely. My mom, her entire family is from Oma and Belfast, and mm-hmm. she was the first generation raised here in the U.S., raised in New Jersey, spent some time there ended up moving down to Atlanta, but still aunts, uncles, cousins all live just outside of Belfast. One of my uncles is actually a police officer in Belfast, and my sister actually went to college just outside of Belfast. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful country and a place that I think just has such significant meaning that I think it's a place that we should all uh, try to get to at some point. Definitely go visit Belfast if you can. Now, so does that mean that your grandparents, did they have a Belfast or Northern Irish accent or had it sort of faded by the time that you grew up? My grandmother had a little bit of one, especially when she would uh, be upset or disapprove of maybe an action as mine as a child. It would definitely come out, but it was an interesting mix. Now, my mom's side, all from uh, from Northern Ireland, my dad's side from South Georgia, a place called Pelham, Georgia. So completely opposite spectrums of the world. But yeah, the accent would definitely come out if she was uh, displeased with me at, at moments. Brilliant. Well, like I said, it's just fantastic to meet somebody who actually has those deep connections, albeit now with a wonderful Southern drawl. So it's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I'm super curious, Chris, whenever I look at the your bio on your website, that the heading is listening twice as much as I talk. What does that mean to you? For me, so much in life, we listen to respond. And when we do that, we miss the meaning behind somebody's voice. And so I'm a big believer in listening to hear, because if you listen to hear, then you can actually engage in a true meaningful conversation. So listening twice as much as I talk means I'm being, I'm making a conscious effort to truly listen to hear somebody. Because if we do that, then we can actually get to great change, not only within our business, but our personal lives and our community nonprofit endeavors. So I try as best I can, it's my North Star to really listen twice as much as I talk. Is that something that's, you know, been with you for a while? Where did that come from? Did you grow up with it? Was it a lesson that you learned? Was it something that you just decided makes sense? How does that become your North Star? I think it came from a, as a youth, you know, I always thought, hey, I know best, you know, I'm, and I'm just going to go that route. But as we grow as individuals, you realize that my opinions are based on my lived experiences in life. And if I'm really going to grow professionally and personally, I have to be able to understand to hear somebody else's opinion because it's based on their lived experiences in life. And so as I started growing in my 
personal and professional lives, I realized that if I really wanted to be an, an educator of people and understanding of people that I needed to listen and I needed to understand their points of views, I need to try to see things through their eyes because so much in life, we go at it as a debate. I need to prove mm -hmm. my point. I need to prove your point is wrong, but that's not life. Life should be a meaningful conversation of growth. If I keep that at the top, I don't always you know, succeed at it, especially with my kids, but it is my North star. I constantly am striving to get there, to make sure that I'm listening to hear somebody, which gives me that ability to try to see things through their eyes. Hmm. And then what about on the flip side of that, if you come across and you find yourself in a conversation with somebody where you know that they are not listening to hear you, they are just listening to find that gap in the conversation so that they can share their thoughts and perspectives. Like, how do you deal with that? I deal with that at times, whether it's from clients or just running into folks at events or, or conferences. And you try to do it as much with dignity as possible. There's a phenomenal book that I love called Dignity by Donna Hicks and Desmond Tutu. And so the approach that I take is, and what they talk about in the book is dignity is a birthright. Respect is earned. So by birthright, we all have dignity. And I may disagree with somebody or somebody may not be giving me a voice that I want to try to give to a conversation, but I have to take the approach that they're coming from a good place. And if I do that, I'm able to let my wall down and try to interject into the conversation that might be meaningful versus if I just get defensive then both walls are up and we don't have a meaningful conversation. So how do you move past then that birthright of dignity towards earned respect? What do you have to do to get there? I think a lot of it starts with validation, validating on somebody's beliefs, validating on somebody's opinion, because they are based on our lived experiences and lives. If we're having a conversation, we could completely disagree with something. But if I tell you, like, your opinion's not valid, that it doesn't mean anything and that you're wrong, I've invalidated your life. Mm -hmm. which means we're never going to have a meaningful conversation. So I try to take that approach that, you know, we can get to a meaningful conversation. I can politely in a nice Southern way say, I, I hear you, I validate you, but here's where I differ. Here's my lens that I see things through and mm -hmm. not try to project my beliefs or feelings on them. Ultimately in life, you know, yes, I own a branding and marketing agency, but I'm a consultant. I'm a guy that brings emotion and conversations to the forefront to give people a voice who feel like their voices have been taken away. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, I have to be able to break down walls and to validate others. Mm. Now, before finding the marketing agency, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute or two, you, you spent some time working at a law firm uh, with their IT and marketing solutions. Was this a career path that you had sort of charted for yourself? Was that a purposeful first step on it? Just share with me how you got there. No, growing up, I thought my career path was going to be sports. And then senior year in high school, tore up my shoulder. And then right after high school, had a son who was born. And so the path in the law firm wasn't necessarily a chosen path. It was a necessity. I went to one semester of college and decided, look, I can't go to school and support him and his mom the way I want to. So I went and got mm -hmm. a job and I was actually delivering mail at the law firm from mm -hmm. one office to the next, shredding papers. And over time, what I was able to do being curious was grow within that law firm. They gave me the experience to grow. So I moved into doing a user experience for the IT department, doing network solutions for the IT department, helping out with marketing. I would listen to litigation trials and give my perspective on the narrative of the trial that they stopped using certain words and we're using these new words. So they were probably changing their legal strategy. So it wasn't a traditional career path. It was a path, a necessity, but I found a path of purpose. So 
What an incredible journey. So you said that it was through being curious that you were able to make those transitions and steps up through your career. Do you have an example? What does that look like for you? What was that in your day to day? What did the curiosity, how did it come out for you? I would say the first thing is one, I had great individuals who gave me room to grow. I think I'm very privileged that I had a boss at the time who was, if I had a question, I wanted to prove something, he was up for it. So the first thing we outsourced a lot of our video production to a shop down the street. And one day just generally asking, cause I was the guy walking him down the street to drop him off and going and picking him back up. I said, why don't we do this in house? I mean, we're a law firm. Can't we do this in house? And he said, write me a proposal. So at this time I'm 20. So I researched what's a proposal look like. Good old Google and figured it out and went and talked to the attorneys who were outsourcing it, what their needs were and came up with a proposal, had their buy-in, presented it to him, said, here's how the firm could do it. Here's the software after research that the firm should use. He said, great, I'll order the software today and you can start running it. And that was the first thing. So I had to teach myself how to do video production. And that kind of started that snowball effect of being curious and asking questions. It's so many times we try to hold our opinion back because we're afraid of rejection or afraid of somebody else's opinion. However, the more I've expressed my opinion and have it come from a place of curiosity and respect, the better it's been. And so that was how it started at the law firm. And it, and it grew over time and was there for 10 years before I started the agency, co-founded the agency. What point did you start to realize the power of narrative and the power of story and the power of the user experience? Like, was there a point whenever you woke up and you thought, gosh, this is what I want to do. I want to help people tell stories. It was the ability to take something complex and simplify it down. There's these old books called Cliff Notes that, you know, if you didn't want to read a whole book, you'd go to the bookstore and then get them and read them. It was my ability to take things they were complicated, bring them down to a cliff notes version into a narrative that was meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I realized the level of engagement that it would draw at the end of everything. We're all emotional creatures. We are looking to connect with something or someone. And so very early on within the law firm, looking through some of those litigation trials and seeing how one or two words could change the complete narrative of a subject. That's when I really started to focus in on those things and realize that a lot of information we have in the world today that we push out, the narrative is picked to what we want it to be for ad sales or pay-per-click or, or things like that. And I believe that we can put the right narrative out there that's engaging and inspires people. Yeah. And I think also just at a, at a general leadership level, one of the things that I think is often lacking from our leaders is just the ability to tell stories, just the ability to bring their team along through the power of story. How do you begin to weave that sort of just even in, if it, you know, you might not start a marketing agency, but to, to just weave narrative and story into how you show up as a leader, have you got any you know pointers for folks? Yeah. Be open, honest, and transparent. People will believe in stories that are believable. Mm. You know, we're really in an intelligent society. We can sniff through the BS. And as leaders, if you want to tell stories, you have to be vulnerable. I think that's ex extremely important to be vulnerable, to show empathy, because then your true emotions will come out in the stories that you're telling. Your true passions will come out in the stories that you're telling. If you're faking the funk, it's easy to fake the funk and people will see that. 
stories allow you to give a journey. Mm. So just as if you're a philanthropist, we want to show somebody their journey in philanthropy. Your employee, who is really your team member, your family, because you spend more time with your team member than you do your family. Mm. Uh, you want to show them a career path. Like, what's your career look like? Let's create a story together. Where do you want to be? Let's tell that story. We all want to be engaged. We can live a movie life today in the story that we create. I love that. That's such a wonderful way to look at it, uh, Chris. So then tell me about the decision to co-found Creative Mischief. I mean, clearly you were doing wonderfully well for yourself in the law firm. What caused you to take that jump out and take that shift? My neighbor at the time, our wives were good friends. He's been in the industry since the early 2000s, or actually since the early 90s, sorry, since the early 90s, and a brilliant creative. I was coming from the operational side, some user experience side, and we just felt that we could offer something to entrepreneurs, companies, corporations that was not out in the market, and that was doing something that was best for them, not best for our bottom line, that we could mm. take the complex and, and simplify it to make it engaging, that we could take any type of marketing and we could communicate, educate the audience and motivate them to action. Because ultimately we want to take people who are unaware, make them aware, make them engage with a brand, make them see relevance in the brand, which is where most agencies stop is relevance, but we want them to see they're essential right? Because that's when you create that emotional lifelong attachment. And we felt we could do that through storytelling with a business consultative approach of what's best for the client, not what's best for us. And that approach has helped us out. And we've grown hundred percent by word of mouth for almost the last 14 years. Mm. What were some of the early challenges that you had in getting things off the ground? I think with any entrepreneur, it's cash flow. So no loans, no lines of credit, nothing else. It was all cash flow. So that was tough. One of our first big deals was a six-figure deal through a relationship I had with an IT director to do a, a large website for a healthcare corporation. And then we found out that you know terms in the contract were net 30, but they're like, yeah, we're, we pay net 120. So that <laughs> makes a sting. But then also your cash flow, you take everything, right? You can't say no because you need the cash flow. You can't say no because you're trying to build up your brand and your experience and your exposure. So you do things you don't say no, or you take on work and you white label for somebody else, but then you're doing work, you're making money, but then you're not able to tell your story. So I think one of the biggest things that has helped us is being able to let go to grow, mm -hmm. let go of the three things that don't make sense for us. It's not a good fit for us. We'll make a recommendation and choosing what's right, right. staying in our wheelhouse, consulting first and foremost with a client to make sure what we're delivering is the right thing for them based on a client's people, process, time, budget, culture, philosophy. But as an entrepreneur, you say yes, and mm -hmm. you have to say yes a lot. And eventually when you get to a point of saying no, no can be a positive, not just a negative. Yeah. So what was the point when you realized, hey, actually, this is great. We've now got to the point where we're really focused on the work that we enjoy doing, that we know that we can add value to that's in our wheelhouse. And we're actually actively turning work away. Was there a moment whenever you kind of looked around and thought, oh, gosh, this feels good. We are who we want to be. So as a consultancy, as an agency, not everything is going to be, because you're mostly creatives, is going to be that award-winning, beautiful, inspiring thing, mm. that product. But what inspires us is seeing a client become inspired, to see that their business is starting to transform, right? Because our job is not to be a hero, but be a client's guide for them being a hero for their organization. Mm -hmm. So looking at things in that lens, but also looking at like, yeah, we could get, you know, these 15 projects at this price, but when we really look at the skill level of our team, the benefits that we offer, everything that started looking at it as a business and profitability of a business, we realized that certain things just did not fit our mold mm. and our model. And 
so we would push them away and into an agency that we thought could could do a good job for them. And that's scary. But if we took on all those, it would more than likely impact our team and our other clients. And we just got to a point that quality over quantity was more important. More long, in-depth engagements with our clients was better than a turn and burn. I don't want to mm. burn our team out. What do you think are some of the biggest leadership lessons you've learned over the last 19 years or so since you started out? Biggest ones, I believe, one, you have to let go to grow for your team. As an entrepreneur, you do everything, you wear every single hat. But if you're going to hire the talent to do it, you have to place trust in them and let go and allow them to do it. And a lot of times you say, oh, if they fail, let them back up. Failing means you stopped and didn't try again. They may fall down, but you can give them encouragement and then get back up. You got to be okay with that. You got to allow them to own a piece of the product of the business that you're doing. So it's trust, it's letting go to grow for you personally, professionally, but also asking them where they want to be. What are they looking for? And showing empathy to your team and letting your team know that they are the absolute most important thing to the organization. Without the team, there is no creative mischief at all. Yeah. We have no agency. So I will take a team member any day of the week. Family will always come first. And if our team knows that we really do give a damn about them and that we will stick up for them and, and take care of them if they need it, they're going to give that much passion and energy into our clients, which is going to allow us and me to give back where I really thrive, which is being in the community. Mm. Yeah. And actually I was just going to go on to that, which is you're just a, such an active part in your local community, you know, sitting on boards, doing a bunch of service. Like what spurred that on in you? So I used to sit back all the time and I'm, I'm speaking of being vulnerable. I'm recently divorced, but I have to give a lot of credit for the man, the father, the friend I am today to my ex-wife. She was my biggest advocate and supporter when we decided to take this leap and we had a child on the way. But I used to tell her how upset I would get with things that would happen in the community. And as most men, everybody says, oh, you had a great woman behind you. No, they're always standing side by side with you, lock and step, pushing mm -hmm. you forward. She said, you really love an old Garth Brooks song. She's like, take the lyrics and live by that. And the lyrics I love are, life is not tried. It's merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. And so what does that mean to me? It's easy to sit on the outside of that fire, throw sticks and stones, criticize organizations, criticize processes and procedures or policy, politics, but it takes special individuals, special groups, special organizations to say enough is enough to step inside that fire, be willing to get scorched a little bit, but to push back the flames that are hurting all the members of our communities because they are our communities. And so I live by that. So I sit on nonprofit boards. I sit on for-profit boards. I've chaired public policy because I'm going to be an individual, a father, a man, a business owner that doesn't just take from the community that gives back. I need to make sure that I'm actually communicating and talking and ex trying to experience what's happening in our communities to give up generational change mm. to try to see that take place. And I think that's just, you know, the highest level of emotional awareness of a leader when they realize that themselves individually, but also the organization that they are a part of doesn't just impact the people that work for that organization or their clients, but it has a direct impact on the community around them and taking that stance of being an active member and growing that and building something for the long term, I think is when you really get to that sort of high level of being a leader that gives a damn. Absolutely. I mean, so much of philanthropy, I believe, is marketing philanthropy. Mm. If we really wanted to fix a lot of these issues that we have, as much money, especially in our city here in Atlanta, we could fix some of these issues. Mm. Like we, we really could 
over two to three years, reset the foundation on generational poverty in our city. Mm -hmm. If we really want to take a focus, if we want it to be uncomfortable and for real change, generational change, we have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key thing. But so many times we become comfortable and complacent. Same mm -hmm. reason why some people don't switch jobs because they're comfortable. They don't want to change. But I believe we can really reset the foundation of a lot of things. There are men, women, kids in our communities that are in poverty and they didn't choose poverty. It's mm -hmm. a circumstance of life. And we need to rethink and recommunicate to them. Just like mm -hmm. it's not job training, it's career training. Mm -hmm. Job is a summer job. Career is lifelong growth. How do we get people into career paths? How can we come up with better ideas for affordable housing? Because, you know, in Atlanta, we use AMI because it's fairly funded, but it doesn't work for a lot of our communities. Even mm -hmm. with AMI, you're down to $60,000 a year for affordable unit, but they're making $17,000 a year. So what do you do? So I, there's solutions out there that I believe we can do, but we have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's a hugely important lesson for many of us. So what's next for you and for the team at Creative Mischief? We're going to continue to evolve and grow. Our client base continues to grow. We continue to implement new things with our staff to try to, you know, help them continue to navigate. You know, COVID has brought on a lot of things that I think we can continue to evolve and, and reevaluate of how we make this a real family on the work that we do. It's positive things in the future. It's continued growth. I think it's different types of projects. I'm excited. I really am. I'm excited about what we're going to do. I'm excited about some of the opportunities in the community as well. Hmm. And so where can folks go to find out more about you and the wonderful work that you do? You can visit us at creative-mischief.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me, Chris Sizemore, anytime there, always. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your thoughts, your perspective, and your wisdom with us. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Lead Like You Give a Damn. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about me, the show, or the work that I do, you can go to davemckeown.com and I'll see you next time.